say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, uh, today I'm going to talk about something that is really important to me and has really changed my life, and that is Jinkum. There's a new way for your kids to get high. They're using raw sewage. I couldn't imagine doing something like that. Sounds pretty sick to me. Honestly, Mm -hmm. they need to find something better to do with their life. Seriously? Something new, something stimulating, something different. There's a lot of people that say it's a hoax or it's not real or it's just made up or whatever. Now let's just get this out of the way first, you know, so you can laugh it all off or whatever, you know. You won't be laughing once you experience what I have and have your life change. But, um, it's human waste. It's, you know, shit. Hey, everybody, just wanted to take a minute here before this episode and tell you uh, that it has some shitty echo in the audio. I didn't realize while I was recording that my other mic was on. So the problem with that is when you have a second mic on in the room, it's almost impossible um, to remove the echo out of that channel because they both record into this channel. This is really nerdy audio shit, but... um, unfortunately for this episode there's going to be a little echo so if uh, you don't like that skip this one um but uh fortunately i got that tech issue figured out and uh, we won't have that problem going forward with other shows uh i hope you enjoy the content of this show um this is you know if it were a normal regular show or an interview show with somebody else we'd just re-record it but uh it's kind of hard to sort of recapture the energy and the uh the the sentiment behind this it's one of those things where it's like now that it's done and it's out of my system, I really can't go back and do it again. Otherwise, I would just re-record it. So uh, here it is in its entirety, uh, the first episode of Talking Shit with You. And then, of course, um, we'll be doing another one of these this week with actual fans on Friday where people can call in. So, um, yeah, it is what it is, unfortunately, for this one. And, uh, you know, it sucks because I had a lot of fun doing this episode. It was kind of cool to get a lot of this shit off my chest and... Uh, you know, set the record straight. So I'll tell you, if you turn the volume really low on this one, it kind of uh, drowns that you can barely hear the echo in the background. So that would be my tip for listening to this. Um, And of course, egg on my face for, you know, doing an episode where I sort of flamethrow other uh, shows and then don't even have the fucking engineering right for my show. So really, uh, really dumb uh, look on my part. But you know what? Fuck them. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one and uh, stay tuned this week for more Jankum. Welcome back, everybody, to a live episode of Jankum. Uh, this is the first in a series of podcasts of this show we're going to do called Talking Shit with You, uh, the fans. These are going to be solo shows that uh, I do of Jankum, which will be conveniently placed when I have a guest cancel or somebody not show up. Or uh, or just want to do uh, a live show with you guys, the fans. So um, we're starting a little early here. We were not scheduled to start until 4 p.m., but I wanted to 
jump in here while we had people jumping on through Twitter and everything and give people time to get in and get situated and, and uh, you know, fucking get ready to shoot the shit. That's what this is really all about, right? Jankum, the shit podcast where we talk shit about uh, current events. We talk shit about each other, myself and my guests, and uh, sometimes we'll talk shit about you guys. Um, this episode brought to you by the awesome guys over at Rockfin. Uh, I wanted to take some time at the beginning of this episode to kind of walk you guys through how the podcast is going to change moving forward. And it's not uh, crazy. It's not uh, something that's astronomical. But I do want to make sure that you guys know where to go to get it, uh, how you can watch it, how you can interact with it, all that good stuff. So um, starting now <laughs> with this episode, the only way you'll be able to get full video episodes of the Jenkins podcast will be through Rockfin. Um, and I like the guys at Rockfin. Uh, my buddy Sam Tripoli has a bunch of shows over at Rockfin, which are great. And um, and uh, we do Big Uglies. We'll do a Big Uglies tonight at 6 p.m. Pacific. Um, we do that exclusively on Rockfin. But uh, I like the streaming platform. I also like that I can live stream episodes for you guys here and you know, not have to fudge with editing or mess around with algorithms or anything like that. And you know, when it comes to like YouTube and Rumble and all these other platforms, they're just as it's so congested with other shit. And it's a lot of work to go in and, and you know, cut shows together to fit different formats, to fit different uh, run times. You have some limitations on what you can upload on different platforms. It's annoying. So uh, we'll live stream Jankum episodes when they happen. Over here on Rockfin, this episode right now is being simulcast on uh, everything. So right now we're live everywhere um, because this will be the last episode of these that we do live everywhere. So you'll be able to catch this episode everywhere. And then hopefully people watch this and know that you got to come over to Rockfin if you want to watch the video. The audio, however, will continue to be available uh, everywhere ad supported. And then you can also get the audio ad free on locals. Uh, the bonus talking shit show, which is kind of where I interview guests and we talk about their poop habits and their shittiest stories and their shittiest relationships, stuff like that. That will continue to be on locals as well. So you'll be able to catch it live here on Rockfin while we do it. And then you'll be able to catch it on locals after the fact um, for the subscription there. So, and I, I recently reduced subscription prices for a lot of stuff because it's becoming this overwhelming thing of having something over here and something over there and it's 10 bucks here and it's 10 bucks there. And I get that. I get that you guys are like, yo man, it's like fucking $50 a month to support all these different things. And, uh, you know, I want to get my money's worth. And so that's why I really am trying to put my time into Rockfin and censored TV so that uh, you guys don't just get my show, but you get all the other stuff on those platforms. So when you're a member of Rockfin, you get my show, but you get every other show on Rockfin. Same with Censored. You subscribe to Censored TV. You go to Next Week Tonight. You also get Gavin's show. You get all these other shows. So there's some other benefit to your subscriptions there. And then My Locals is now 5 bucks a month. You can get the entire year and save three months. Um, and then you can also, or you can do it monthly for five bucks a month. And then you can also now super follow me on Twitter, which is funny. I just did Anthony Kumia's show and brought this up, but, um, I'm one of the beta testers for super followers. So what you don't know, or what you may or may not know about super followers is Twitter has this new thing that they're doing where it's like paid content. So they're trying to create some paywall content, like 
Patreon has, OnlyFans, that type of thing. I'm assuming to cut out the middleman and to try to beat some of these other, you know, subscription games um, and utilize the the massive usership that Twitter already has. So they uh, invited me to be a part of it. And then I spent like a whole day last week troubleshooting this with Twitter because I think they forgot, or maybe the people who are in charge of super followers, uh, you know, didn't get the memo. But I think I'm the only conservative super followers beta tester that's out there right now. So I think there was probably some back and forth about that, about, well, do we actually want to let this person participate in the beta? Do we want to let them monetize content, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, they, it got turned on. So that's, uh, that was surprising to me and a cool feature. So now if you want to get bonus content over on Twitter, uh, you can subscribe over there. That's only $2.99 a month. And I'm creating cool stuff for Twitter specifically uh, to help support that uh, Spaces thing. So... Um, this show, Talking Shit With You, which will be a call-in show, will actually take place on Twitter Spaces live. So that won't be on Rockfin. That will be audio only when we do it. Maybe we'll do it on Rockfin. I don't know if it's going to... I don't know if I can get when I do it on... If I stream it from here, I don't know if I can get people's audio to come back through the the video broadcast. But if we can, we'll do it that way too, and we'll put it on Rockfin as well. But... um the spaces will be a kind of thing where if you follow me on Twitter, you can go into spaces, you can sort of raise your hand and be like, I want to talk and I will bring on fans or fucking trolls to talk during the broadcast and we'll have fun. You can shit talk me. You can, you know, shit on me. You can uh, do your best to try to bust my balls, whatever you want to do. It'll be fun. Or you can ask questions or you can bring up topics and say, Hey, I want to talk about this. Or did you see this thing in the news? And what are your thoughts on that? So I want that to be a more interactive show um, than just Jacob, just me talking with guests. And it's, it's also more fun than just me sitting here doing a solo episode, you know, by myself for you guys. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be a lot more fun to do it that way. And by doing it on Twitter spaces, uh, you'll be able to get access to that um, when we do it on Twitter. If you're on Twitter and then I will post those episodes on Locals. Um, and you'll be able to get those as part of a lo- uh, as part of your locals membership as well. So locals, I'll, I'll run this back for you guys so you can understand everything. Live shows on Rockfin, Jankum, and the Big Uglies, which again, Big Uglies will have here in a couple hours tonight. Um, locals will get you everything ad free: the regular Jankum podcast, the Talking Shit with the Fans podcast, and the Talking Shit with Guests uh, video, and then uh, Twitter. Uh, super followers, you can go over there. You'll get access to um, uh, Twitter followers. Sorry, super followers specific tweets. So there's there's actually tweets that only super followers can see now. You actually can't even see them on Twitter. I wish they would show you. I wish they would put a thing that would show you, like, hey, there's a this is bonus content you can see if you subscribe. But I don't think it even shows up for people that don't have um, that that aren't super following. And you can't even do super follows if you aren't on an iPhone. So that's kind of gay. Um, but if you're on an iPhone or an Apple device or whatever, and you want to super follow me over on Twitter, please do. That's $2.99 a month. Locals is 5 bucks a month. And then for uh, next week tonight on Sensor TV and the stuff on Rockfin, I think it's $9.99 a month on each of those platforms. But you don't just get my show. You get all the other shows that are on those platforms, and they're well worth it. As far as next week tonight goes, this is my last little bit of news update before we uh, we get into the show, the meat of the show today. Um, 
Next week tonight, we'll have four episodes here coming up for the end of the year. I'm excited to get those out. And then sometime next season, we will roll into season two. Somebody on Twitter was like, uh, cool that you're doing a fans call-in show, bro, but I hope you don't flake like you did with next week tonight. There's no fucking flaking with next week tonight. Next week tonight is a fucking pain in the ass to do. Um, it's more ambitious than anything Gavin and I talked about when we very first talked about me doing something uncensored. But I looked at the, the content over there and I was like, I want to do something different. I decided to try to do a clip show. I had never done something like that before. I had no idea what it went into it and kind of like learned my way through um, doing that show. And I'm really, really happy with what we've put together so far. I want in season two, I want to put some more um, time and attention into building the writing team. I'd love to bring on a dedicated editor um, to do that and, uh, and get some of the post-production work off my plate because that part is a fucking pain in the ass. That is the most cumbersome part. I've had to basically learn how to be a film editor um, in this entire time I've been doing next week tonight. So there'll be four more episodes that'll bring us to 13 um, for the end of season one. And then uh, season two will start sometime after the first of the year. And then we'll, we'll hopefully have a regular release of episodes after that. I kind of want to get in front of it enough to where we can have them scheduled out and, and we're not waiting for something to come back every, uh, you know, every week or so. It's just like, and sometimes with next week tonight, it's like if the workload gets too heavy and then you fall behind and everyone has done the fucking bits that you have on your show or that you've written out, it's like you got to start over. And so the last thing I ever want to do with next week tonight is like uh, put, you know, put fucking work into producing it, writing it, shooting it, editing it, putting it out. And then next thing you know, 10 other people have already made those bits or the news is not the news anymore. It's just boring yesterday's news shit. And then it looks like a current event show. So, you know, I want to get out in front of season two a little bit more than we were with season one. But if you've been watching next week tonight, you enjoy it. Thanks for checking it out. I hope you guys like it. So the meat of, I think that's everything I have on my notes for catching you guys up on stuff so far. So a lot of places to follow me, a lot of places to engage with content, and I'm just going to keep making shit for the few people that like it. Um, let's get into something. So here's one thing that I want to, I want to address. Um, I was for this solo episode, I was sitting here thinking like, what do I want to do? What do I want to cover? Um, and what would be some content? And lo and behold, our good friends over at the uh, Red Bar subreddit were able to provide something that I just could not resist commenting on. And thankfully, somebody clipped together this video. Now, if you remember, I've had I had Earl Skakel on the podcast not too long. The last episode of Jenkins was me and Earl Skakel. We talked about um, hockey. We talked about comedy. And I like Earl a lot. And Earl is also friends with Patrick at Nobody Likes Onions. So naturally, that caught up or, or that came up on the show. And we started talking about the old days on Nobody Likes Onions. And then, of course, like Pussy Patrick always likes to do, um, he did a show commenting on that, but put it behind his paywall, which he always does, right? And this is how you know somebody is fucking full of shit and lying is because when they talk about you, they put it behind a paywall. Mike David at Red Bar does this. Patrick Melton at Nobody Likes Onions does this. Go back and look and notice that Mike hadn't talked about me on his show outside of his paywall for the last year. And same with Patrick. And that's because Mike fucking slanders and lies about shit on his show. And he doesn't want to get fucking sued, which he knows he will. And Patrick 
puts his shit behind his paywall because he is a ginormous pussy and knows that he's not telling the truth about things. And so I'm going to go through that clip right now and call out all of the things that Patrick is lying about in that fucking clip. And then I'm going to wash my hands of it and be done with it. Now, for many, many years, I have said, like, I'm not going to comment on shit when these guys get to talking. I'm going to take the high road. I'm not even going to engage. And then what has happened over the last many years is that people just continuously fucking lie on your name. They keep talking shit that isn't true. And so now we're going to go through and we're going to talk about the shit that's true and the shit that's not true. And if you want to come on my show, you fat fuck and set the record straight, you're more than welcome to. But you know you won't do that because you only like to control the narrative on your show. We get to twist my words and make it something that it's not something that you did constantly when I did your show back in the day. See, this is what's this is what is kind of brilliant about guys like Mike and Patrick is that what they'll do is they'll put words in your mouth and then expect you to defend them. And it's pretty entertaining. It can be really, really funny. And it works a lot of the time. That shit ain't going to fly with me anymore. You can put words in my mouth all day. I'll come on my own fucking show and set the record straight because you're lying and you know you're lying. So we'll get into it. We'll talk about it. I've got my I've got my Jurassic World AMC cup full of water. I've got the clip here ready to go. We got people in the comments. Ooh, Mike's going to be furious. Mike's dead. Mike is fucking dead. Yeah, what's he planning a big comeback? Nobody gives a shit anymore. You married a fucking 13-year-old, bro. You're done. You're finished. You never were anybody, and you're not going to fucking be anybody. Enjoy. Would you move to some secret lair up in the Antarctic where the people who want to kill you can't find you? Real fucking tough. Real tough. I look forward to never seeing you out in public, in the world, anywhere ever again. You shut-in pussy. And people will go, oh, he's only saying this because Mike's been going, no, 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 no. Mike's been plugging his comeback. Mike's been trying to subscribe to my locals and shit so I'm sure he can build content for his big fucking comeback show. Let me tell you something. If you're doing fucking commentary on me, what does that say about you and what you have going on in your career? Nothing. If I'm a nobody, why am I the subject of your broadcast, Mike, Patrick? What the fuck are you talking about? Let's get into it. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm fired up. I want to start. I'm going to go through this whole thing. It's a 30 minute clip. I don't know which person did this, but whoever clipped this, thank you, because I don't belong to the, uh, what is it? The, the overdose. So I don't see this shit. And that's why, by the way, that's why these guys do it. They do it because they just don't, they don't want to risk any legal shit. And they just don't want to have it out documented that they're fucking full of shit and they're lying. I don't care. By the way, bust my balls all day. There's plenty of things that you can honestly bust my balls about. When I have shows and two people show up, that's something to make fun of. That's real. Bust my balls about that. And that sucks, but that's part of being a, com- a comedian and trying to do shit. You try to set up shows you do a gig that your friend goes, yeah, it's a good venue. Check it out. It's always packed. We always have good shows. You go, cool. I'd love to do it. Two people show up. You go, fuck, never should have booked this show. That's part of it. But bust my balls about that. That shit's funny. That's real shit. You want to bust my balls about stuff that's actually true? 
I'll take it. Make a good joke about it. I love getting my balls busted. The point is, though, when you when that's not enough and you got to make up shit, you got to lie about things, and you got to have this revisionist fucking history about what's actually gone on, that's when I have a problem with it, and that's when I'm going to respond. There's no more Denny taking the fucking high road and not saying anything. When you lie, I'm going to call it out. When you talk about shit that everybody fucking knows is a lie, I'm going to call it out. It's that simple. Very simple. All right, let's get into this. I want to I, I watch this clip. Josh has always been about a fake it till you make it guy, but this is part of the reason we started having the falling out. If you'll remember, like he was like buying all his Twitter followers. All right. So let's get into lie. Number one right here. This is uh, the Josh has always been a fake it till you make it guy. My, my approach has never been fake it till you make it again. This is another thing that Patrick puts out there into the world and goes, Josh is a fake it till you make it guy. Uh, because I try things. I actually try to do different shit. There's no fake it till you make it about how I carry myself through my life. I am the most transparent comedian you will ever fucking meet when it comes to things that are going on in my life. When times are good, when times are bad, I've been honest about all of it. When I've had to go back to work and work a job and that didn't work out, I've been honest about that. And this thing about buying Twitter followers, that was never the case. If you go back and listen to episodes from that time frame, I think it was 2013, um, you're, we're talking about when I was on the Anthony Jeselnik show and on that show, I went there to be an audience member and went through a casting at that taping to be part of a segment on air. And they picked me because I was funny and I had funny shit to say, and they wanted to put me in the segment. So I go on, I do this segment. And then as the show airs, I think, okay, at the time, I think I had like 800 followers on Twitter. And I was like, this show has a big following on Twitter. A lot of people participate in hashtag stuff or whatever. This was around the same time at midnight. I think it just started on Comedy Central. So I thought, man, if I go in and I just like follow all the people that are talking about the Jesselnik show that I was just on, maybe I can build some fans. Maybe I can get something going. And so I did that and it worked. I, I think I rolled my followers up from like 800 to like 2000 after that show. And I thought, wow, there's something to this. By actually going in and following people that like people that do what I do, maybe I can acquire some new fans. It's kind of like hanging out a flyer for your show at another show or like rappers do where they'll hand out their CD outside of a show of another artist that's like them or whatever. So I'm thinking this is the digital version of that. So I went in and, and uh, signed up for this program called Tweepy that allowed me to uh, group followers by location and start and then go in and kind of look and make sure like they're legitimate, they're active, whatever, different types of things. So I went in and signed up for that. And then I started going through and following people who liked other comedians who were like me. And some of those people followed back and started engaging with my shit. And some people didn't. But at the end of the day, all of that shit was how I was able to build my Twitter from like 800 people up to, I think, like the first 40 or 50,000, something like that. The only time followers were bought for my account was when Mike from Red Bar was trying to convince people that I was buying followers and then instructed all of his minions to go buy followers for my account. At that time, I had gotten pretty savvy with running scripts and was able to run a script that immediately just blocked all of those troll farm accounts and was able to get those numbers out of my numbers, which is like, how fucking gay are you, Mike? 
where you got to go, oh, uh, I need to prove that his Twitter followers are bought and paid for, so I'm actually going to go buy Twitter followers for him. And I'm going to have my nerds go buy Twitter followers for him. How fucking pathetic is that? And I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick did the same thing and told people, go buy, go buy Twitter followers for Josh's account so it looks like he's got fucking fake followers. My engagement numbers, if you, go, if you know shit about social media, go look at my engagement numbers. You'll see they run right in line with most of the other accounts that have the similar size following. Some, some things are low. Some things are high. It, it just depends on what people want to engage with. I could put political shit on Twitter all day and get a thousand likes. That's what my fan base engages with. That's just not what I'm in the mood to do every day. So, you know, it's just, this idea, this whole thing starts with like, oh, he's a fake it till he makes it kind of guy. It's like, and by the way, we'll get into that again in a second, because what comes up is when I got my TV show and the very first fucking thing Patrick said when I got my TV show, when he had my friend Will C on his podcast was up oh, fake it till you make it, I guess. Right completely discrediting any work or effort or anything I put into getting that show, getting that show going and getting it on the air, getting it picked up. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the batting rate of what happened for me to get ginormous food and get that show on the air and for it to have the success that it did is fucking unheard of. We'll talk about that later on when we get to that part of the, of the uh, clip. And stuff this doing all these follow for follow programs. We were like, Dude, we would make fun of anybody doing this. Like, we would 100% make fun of anybody doing this. All these Twitter followers he bought. Wrong. Not true. Like, you know what I mean? And you know it's not true because he does this thing where he doesn't look in the camera. There's no conviction in his words. He looks around, fucking ho-hums, like he's twiddling his thumbs. That's what liars do. That's what, like, they can't look you in the fucking eye when they're talking to you. They have no conviction in their words. You're a fucking liar. You're a liar, and you probably don't even remember. So you know at the very least your recollection sucks. Maybe not that you're lying entirely, but you know you don't really know what the fuck you're talking about. It's crazy. If you follow 7,000 people and 7,000 people follow you, it's not impressive. It's Again, what's impressive? It's never about being impressive. It's about building a fan base. And, and at no point, I don't think, did I ever follow 7,000 and have 7,000. Again, it's like when people throw out things like this, dumb listeners of his show who might casually know who I am go, oh, I, did he do that? I guess he did that. Is it? People fucking respect you. That's just my opinion. And I'm also the kind of dude where that's never worked for me in any other facet of my life. When I got into corporate America, I was hated by everyone. Corporate America. He was a district retail manager for Crocs. And he acts like he was in boardrooms every day with briefcases full of saltine crackers. This is one that I really like that Patrick and Mike both do, by the way, diminishing the concept of working a job. And this is something I was thinking about a lot. Um, when I talk about being in corporate America, yeah, a corporate position, at an uh, a office position, field position. Um, Anybody who works in retail restaurants knows what a district manager does. The difference about when I was a district manager with Crocs was I was one of two. And there were four people brought on to uh, build the retail team for Crocs in 2006 from the ground up. It was myself, a dude named Rob, my boss, Bob, who I worked for at many places, and my buddy, Drew. The four of us were brought on to run that business from the ground up. There were like 30 kiosks that had been situated around malls in the country. 
But basically, the company had reacquired those that were franchises and decided they were going to build a corporate retail division. There were the four of us that were chosen to do that. So while my title was district manager, I co-wrote the mission statement for the operations team. I built the entire operations portfolio. I fucking helped build locations, staff the location. I did so much more than your average district manager does. And somebody goes, oh, he acts like he was in boardrooms. I was, motherfucker. I was sitting in boardrooms with the CFO, who was our direct report um, for the retail team, talking about things like inventory management, talking about our stock, talking about our culture, talking about what we were building on the retail side. So the scope of my responsibility was far outside what the boss of a store manager at Starbucks is asked to do. And this was always a point of contention with Patrick and I. Patrick had this fucking idea that him having a degree somehow made us equal in the eyes of what we knew about business. And it absolutely doesn't. And this is something I noticed about both Patrick and Mike. They love to shit on people having jobs. You'll hear Patrick later on in this talk about, oh, I've never had to fucking get a job. I've never had to drive Uber. I wonder why, motherfucker. Is it because unlike you, I didn't inherit any money from my parents when they died? Is it because unlike you, I didn't inherit money from my grandmother when she died? What jobs have you had? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Other than fucking wing cleaner. You've had no jobs. Same with Mike David. You guys went to fucking private schools. You went to college paid for by your parents. You lived in places that your fucking parents paid for. You've never had to work a hard day in your fucking life. I am not going to pretend that I'm embarrassed that I work for the money that I have. All of this shit is work. And it's all fucking time. Okay? And, and for you to try to pretend like I'm some piece of shit because I had a corporate job. By the way, you loved that I had a corporate job when I was doing Nobody Likes Onions because every time there came a moment where I would go, hey, we just did a live show together in New York. Do I get paid for that? Or hey, we just did a marathon show where you raised $15,000. Do I get paid anything for sitting here with you for 20 hours? Your response always was, you don't need money. you got a corporate job, motherfucker. So you conveniently used that to fuck me out of any money you were making while we were doing the show together all the time, which is fine. It's your show. I'm a guest. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Where I had a problem with it was when we went to New York and you started talking to me like I was a fucking employee of the network. And I put you in your place and told you I don't fucking work for you. Not once did Patrick Melton ever put a dollar in my pocket for doing any of the shit we did together. The only time I made money, he paid for my flight to go to New York to do that show, which I didn't get paid for. Okay. 
And I took money from the shows we did in Minneapolis because I booked those shows. And then I got paid for the shows we did at Mike's Red Bar Comedy Club together because, uh, by the way, Patrick had to fight Mike to get our money because he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll send you a check. And then Patrick knew better. Um, but those were the only times I got paid doing anything with Patrick over the years. And that's one of the things that's funny. I never had an issue with that. I loved, I loved that I got to go on his show, do what I wanted to do. I, I made a ton of fans at the time. I got introduced to this whole world of podcasting and broadcasting that I'd never been exposed to before. So in my mind at the time, I was just appreciative that somebody thought I was funny and wanted to give me a platform and wanted, wanted me to be their friend and, and be a part of their thing. I was appreciative of that. Um, and Patrick absolutely took advantage of that. Every opportunity he could. Even, even recently, like there are people that I was friends with in the LA comedy community. Honestly, the, the one thing that drove Josh and I apart um, in a personal life, because we were probably best friends for a while. For four years, from 2010 to 2014, we pretty much spent three or more days of the week together. At least. He was after this girl named Netta, who's his girlfriend now. Of, of over 10 years. And for like six months, over six months, she strung him along. It was pissing him off. She would spend the night but not do anything with him. She would tell him it's never going to happen. She doesn't find him attractive. Put him down. All this shit. And as a good friend... Um, I would take it side with that and be like, she's a bitch. You need to like, stop worrying about this chick. All right. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit real quick. Cause I like this. I like this retelling of history. And this is what I mean when I say Patrick will put words in your mouth and then make you defend them as if they're your own words. When, when Patrick would ask me about the relationship of my, or, or the, the nature of my early relationship with Netta, we were just friends in the beginning. I was dating other women. She was seeing other guys. We just started, she was a fan of comedy. I invited her out to a show one time and we just hit it off and we just started talking to each other and hanging out. And when she would hit me up to hang out, which by the way, was interfering with time that I was spending with Patrick. So naturally he had a little bit of that. My best friend is getting a girlfriend shit. It's like, that's not, that's normal. That's normal for guys. If guys are single and then one of them gets a chick, um, it, you know, it can be, it can be weird or it can be tough when you're the guy who feels left out. I, I was like that when I was 12. I don't know if I felt it as an adult, but I get it. Right. But what Patrick would do is like, why are you spending? He would drill me and go, why are you spending time with this chick? Is she your girlfriend? And I would go, no. He's like, are you fucking her? And I would go, no, we're just friends. We're just hanging out. And we go, then why are you wasting your fucking time with this chick? And my answer was very simple. I just go, yeah, man, because she calls me. She actually engages with me. Like, I'll be driving and coming home from work, and nobody's hitting me up to do anything, and she'll hit me up and go, yeah, let's, let's hang out. And she'll take me places, and she'll pay, and then I'll pay. It was the first time in my life that any relationship with a woman, friendship, or otherwise felt equitable, felt like she was actually trying to meet me halfway or at least, like, enjoyed spending time with me. But there was no romantic element to our relationship for like the first almost year we hung out and we continued to see other people. And, and it kind of got to a point where we just looked at each other and was like, I enjoy spending time with you more than I enjoy spending time with the chicks I'm fucking. And she felt the same way about the guy she was with. And we've been together for nine years through all of the shit. 
right? So I love how you're trying to paint this thing of like, I've spent 10 years with a woman who doesn't like me. Are you fucking stupid? He finally, you know, wears her down or whatever. Yeah, I wore her down. I wore her down and then she's been my prisoner for a decade. This is, this is, by the way, this is the fucking energy of somebody who's never fucking met a woman worth a shit in their life. Unbelievable. Or kept a woman worth a shit in their life. Because, I, by the way, he had a couple of them that were pretty good to him, and he fucked those things up, too. Whenever she comes around, she becomes his girlfriend, and now it's fucking awkward because he tells her that I don't like her. I didn't have to tell her you didn't like her. You fucking told her you didn't like her. The very first time you met her, we were doing Food Truck Fridays. NLO fans will remember this. We would do a show on Friday, and then we would go to the Burbank Food Truck Festival, which is like around the corner on, on uh, it was way up. It's actually in like North Hollywood. Actually, I think it was the North Hollywood food truck thing. Whatever. We would go to that, and Brian and Star would go with us. And Netta met us there one time. And the very first thing Patrick did was start shitting on her skin. She had like a, a acne breakout or something at the time. Shitting on her weight. By the way, the thinnest she ever was. Fucking 120 pounds. You got a 450 pound guy nagging you and telling you you're fat. That was his first introduction to her was to tell her she's not fucking pretty. She's fat. She's gross. And it just, you know, even Brian and Star were like, dude, ew, you, you couldn't look more insecure right now. So instead of hanging out, we left. And then there was another moment early on in my relationship, my friendship with Netta, where we were doing a marathon show. And she, without any, any provocation from me or anything on my end, decided uh, she was going to bring donuts to us because it was like me and Cornell and, and Patrick hanging out. She was going to bring donuts. Patrick refused to believe that this wasn't some fucking premeditated thing where I was like, hey, if you bring donuts to Patrick and I while we're broadcasting, he'll like you. I didn't give a fuck what you thought of her. I still don't give a fuck what you think of her. But the amazing thing is your fucking fat ego is so big that you thought that we fucking conspired for her to bring, to do something nice, to win you over. Jesus fucking Christ, dude, look at yourself. No one has ever put that much thought and attention into getting your fucking approval. Dude, unreal, unreal. But he, the whole day, go back and listen to that marathon show. Go back in the archives and pull it up. He refused to believe that that was an organic act of niceness on her part. And when he shoved the door in her face, it was like, fuck her for doing that. Her attitude at the time was, I have no interest in being friends with this dude. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. You can be friends with him. I don't want to be around him. He's a self-hating piece of shit. And I'm just not going to surround myself with somebody like that. And it took me years to figure out that she was right. She was totally right the entire fucking time. And um, I don't think they should be together. He tells her all this stuff. So now it's like. Also, you didn't, you didn't have these same conversations. You didn't bitch about your friends to your girlfriend. You didn't bitch to Laura about me while we were in New York. You didn't bitch to Millie about me all those years. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Like you don't have conversations with the women in your life about your friends. Okay. So you told your girlfriend now. That your best friend doesn't like her. Again, didn't need to. You did a perfectly good job of that on your own. Well, now it's awkward and weird. And she's catty and passive aggressive around me. So no. She was never around you. She was never, she was around you two fucking times. And then I think a couple other times when we did shows together, she would come out and she just wouldn't talk to you.
Because you're a dickhead. That's not comfortable, you know? By the way, what is she supposed to do? Gush over you like the fans of your show do? Same with, same with my, the only people that like you are people that somehow have this idea of who you are through your show. Most of the women you've dated were fans of your show. Mike's fucking wife was a fan of his show at 13, nonetheless. So get the fuck out of here with this shit of like, you know, it's awkward. You, you only, your only speed is awkward. So I decide I'll just wait this relationship out. Only little do I know your self-esteem is so low. And do you see the projection? Do you see the projection? I'm in a relationship with somebody I've been with for 10 years who I love deeply, who I care about, who I would fucking kill for. And it's because my self-esteem is so low. Meanwhile, we're not supposed to look at the guy who's been alone, who's fucking bounced around the globe for the last 10 years, not settling in anywhere, not having any consistency in their life. And you're supposed to be the beacon of, of fucking happiness. Follow you to find the way. What are you, fucking Gary V? You were headed down a path of self-destruction that would pretty much stop you from getting women for years. So yeah, yeah, stop me stop. from getting women for years. I, I, what are you talking about? You're, you're talking in circles and you don't even make sense. Of course it stopped me from getting women for many years. It's called monogamy, motherfucker. That's what it is. That's how it works. And yes, Harry Belsonia, two love gurus. I know there's absolutely nothing more ridiculous than this fucking fat guy talking about what a loser that fucking fat guy is when it comes to women, when most women in their common sense would never want to fuck with either of us. I get it. It's hilarious, but that's why you're here. So, you know, look, um, did I do everything right by Josh Denny? hundred percent. No. Cool. So what would be a really cool thing right now would be for you to get into some of that, show some fucking humility and go, here are some of the things I didn't do right. But you can't do that because you can't fucking live with the reality that when it comes to our friendship, the fucking account is way in the red for you, dude. It always was and it always will be. And you will never get the chance to fucking make things right. You never will. That's the thing that people like you have to realize when you fuck up relationships in your life is that sometimes you don't ever get a chance to do it over again. And not that you want to or that you give a shit, but boy, you got a lot of people on that list of that don't fuck with you anymore. And I, and I talk about that later in this episode with Earl and Patrick brings it up and pretends like it's not real. 100% no. We went pretty hard on him at the end of uh, 2014. Yeah, let's talk about what that was like. How about review bombing every new podcast I tried to launch so that it couldn't get algorithmed into getting people to find it, right? So what people don't realize is there's there's an actuality to how trolls operate that can actually hurt your fucking opportunity to grow what you're doing. And and the Red Bar trolls do this and the Onions trolls do this, but they'll go in and they'll negative review bomb your content so that it can't get algorithmed. And what I mean by that is like, let's say I talk about something that Tim Dillon talks about. Well, if my video doesn't have a disproportionate amount of dislikes to likes, that my video might get recommended to people that watch Tim's because we're but we might use the same hashtags or we might be talking about the same thing. But if the actual pod, if the numbers are negative, meaning if it has more negative reviews than positive reviews, the people know that it won't get algorithmed and you can't get referred to other people's shit. So you can't acquire any fans organically through the platforms if people fuck with your numbers enough. And that's what he instructed his fans to do when I launched my first podcast. In 15. 
Just what we mean. I love that Kyle Murphy goes. Red Bar doesn't care that much. Red Bar's done twenty plus hours on my shit. Red Bar's covered intimate details of my personal life. Red Bar called the the dealership where we financed our car that got repossessed when we had financial problems. Red Bar is more up my ass than a proctologist ever will be. And by the way, real fucking smart to put my personal financial information on your show. Real smart. I wonder if the FBI might be interested in knowing about that. Because there's a level of like fucking with people and having a good time versus actually doxing somebody, hurting their fucking reputation, and cyber-stalking them. So we'll see how far you get the new ethos of your show. The fucking feds up your ass. Keep putting my personal shit out there. Wait till your fucking address leaks, pussy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And a t-shirt of his face making fun of it and all his lies. But again... This guy compounded lies on lies on lies, everything from being in a plane crash to um, just personal stories about his family and stuff. Like, no, go on, go into the details. What is there other than the plane crash? Because we'll talk about the plane crash here in a second. But what else is there? Name the other lies. What are the other lies? So much shit. I can't even. So much. I can't even. Isn't that fucking convenient? So much. I can't think of one specific. Other than a story I manipulated into being a lie. Like listeners were calling him out on stuff. He was going around behind my back telling listeners that he was a real comic doing real shit. Not what I said at all. Not what I said at all. What he's talking about is a conversation I had with Luke Carberry on Facebook where Luke asked why I wasn't doing the show as much. And I said, I'm just focused on my shit. And the show over there has become overwhelmingly just negative shit talking about other comedians. It's just commentary about people that you're obviously jealous of and bothered by. And we used to do fun shit on the show. The show used to be like O&A where we talk about current events or we talk about things in the news. And if a comedian happened to fall into that, then we would talk about it. But we didn't just sit there and target other people's fucking careers and shows. That was never the fucking thing that was fun about the show in the beginning. I was playing podcast. It's like, again, for 11 years, I've made a living. Yeah, and those conversations were had, by the way, after we stopped talking, after we had had a falling out. So, yeah, I said playing podcast. Because with, with as talented as you were at the time, you could have done so much more than just your fucking podcast. We talked about doing sketches. We talked about doing tours and, and doing live shows. We talked about filming all kinds of shit. You didn't do any of it. You were too fucking lazy to do any of it. And so, yeah, keep sitting over there playing podcast. From this show. 
Like I don't have to, I don't have to do anything else. And for 11 years, that's been true. I've never driven Uber, <laughs> never applied for another job. So again, by the way, Uber driver, not an insult. Well, why don't you guys ever talk about some of the other jobs I had? I worked at McDonald's in high school. I did landscaping and construction when I was fucking 12 and 13. This is what's so funny about this, this world of podcasting. Because what you have is these autistic fucking private school trust fund nerds like Patrick and Mike who have never worked a hard day in their lives. And they think talking about having a job is some kind of fucking insult. I will do whatever I have to do to pay my fucking bills and make ends meet. And when people come to me and offer me opportunities like that job when I, when I got in after ginormous food ended, that was my old boss coming to me saying, hey, man, I have a position for you. Six figures. It's an executive job. Got some opportunity to move up. I would have, I'd love to. I jumped at the opportunity. I loved working with Bob. I loved, you know, the time we, we spent together in the other companies. We worked at four different companies together. It's one of my biggest mentors, one of my longest friends. And then I got jammed up. I got fucking, you know, that was a real life cancellation. That was me going and starting a job and getting fired for shit that I said on the internet a year before that. Now, if you think that's okay, there's no conversation for us to have, right? We just have very different opinions about how the shit you do in your private life should affect your life at work. I don't think your job should be able to fire you because you belong to a certain club outside of work or you have certain opinions that you've aired on social media. Now, if you disagree with me, we're never going to find common ground on that. But yes, I did sue that company. And yes, we lost in summary judgment about a year ago at Christmas time. So it's just amazing to me how people think like this idea of like, oh, you fucking work. We all work. We all do shit to make money. All this shit is work. Doing stand-up is work. Podcasting and making pennies or dollars or thousands, whatever you can make, it's all work. It's all something. It's all fucking time. And I'll spend my time however the fuck I want to doing whatever I have to to make money. That's what it is. That's what being a comedian is, by the way. Tim Dillon said this shit on his last episode. Work two jobs, one you need and one you love. I'll do whatever I need to to make money. Speaking of that, go to my OnlyFans. John Beignet Ramsey. You guys can go over there and subscribe to my OnlyFans. There's no content yet, but let shit get dire enough. And I'll, I'll show you some feet or some asshole meat, whatever you guys want. Put it in the chat. Fun stuff. <laughs> so he said it's a fake NHL jersey. Uh, this, that's the length you guys will go to. It's, that's, that's, see, that's kind of funny. I don't know where all the hatred came from. And again, I, you don't know where the hatred came from. You directed it. You were the orchestrator of the hatred. You can even go back and listen to old episodes where Mike would call in and do this whole riffing back and forth thing. Like he would pretend like he was a concerned fan. And, and then Patrick would do this thing where he'd try to play like mediator, like lend credibility to the absurd shit Mike was saying. It's all the, the receipts from all this stuff. It was insane. Um, so we all have our different memory, but the, yeah. yeah, we sure do. Don't we, we all have our different memory. There's mine. There's the truth. And there's whatever the fuck's coming out of your big dumb head. You know, the whole thing, why my, I was having trouble having him on the show because he was turning into this super weird soft boy. Remember he's like, yeah, super weird soft boy. When I was just like, Hey man, like I want to focus on me. 
I want to focus on my career. I want to try to move things in the right direction. Um, also getting healthy. There was a weird, tremendous amount of resentment towards me when I lost a bunch of weight. I had done, uh, and I think he talks about this in a minute, but I had done the eat right for your blood type diet, which my boss, Bob, had turned me on to. And he had lost like 50, and he's a little guy, and he had lost like 50 pounds doing this blood type diet. And I did the same thing, and I lost, if you guys remember, it was like fall of 2014. I lost like 50, 60 pounds. I got, that was the best shape of my life. It was like, or no, no, it was before that. Because it was it was around the time I met Netta. Um, it would have been like fall 2011, summer 2012, like through that time. So it's like, yeah, you're still a fat piece of shit. I decided I was going to get uh, late or, or <laughs> late. I was going to get late. I was going to get lose weight. And I remember what happened. I was working for Crocs and I was uh, just, yes, and I have gotten fatter. That's true. Um I was just chugging through the uh, Tucson airport. And I was like, dude, I was, at the time I was like 20, 25. And I was like, dude, I am in unacceptable shape for a 25 year old. And I got motivated and I listened to some smart people and I lost a lot of weight. I got down to like 219 pounds, which was the fucking lightest I had ever been. And, uh, and, and, you know, yeah, Patrick called me a faggot on the show for doing that. And they, you know, they ripped me and made fun of me. And then uh, Patrick moved to New York and Lewis started talking to him and he did the same shit, right? Mr. 50 plate, 50 fucking chicken wings on a plate. I'm doing keto. I lost, he lost like a hundred pounds. Good for him. But like, don't call somebody a faggot for trying to improve their health and then do the same thing and then come back to it years later when we were both in much worse health and then try to say like, yeah, but you were a faggot when you did it. Well, which one of us is gay? Like I'm allergic to chicken because my blood data shows. Yeah, not allergic to chicken. Again, like, this is the kind of shit. Is like you'll make shit up and you'll pretend that was the story. I wasn't allergic to chicken. <laughs> Anybody who knows what the blood type diet is, if you don't go look it up, it's this idea that uh, genetically we are designed through evolution to convert foods into energy, and some of that is based off of our uh, our ethnicity. Yes, it is like. Um, uh, eugenics for diet. Uh, blacks can digest this, gooks this, whatever. You can fucking have your fun with however you want to do it. Uh, whites, they digest this best. So the idea is if you eat stuff that's more traditional to your cultural you know, makeup, you'll lose weight. And there's actually some good science to it. And, and it worked. I mean, it worked at the time. So, and it wasn't like I went low carb or any of these other things that since then we have find, we found out are better ways to shed fat. But um you know, at the time it was, that was like kind of the, one of the like things that was on the forefront of nutrition was like, yeah, if you, if you eat sort of culturally traditional and the example they would give is Asia. If you get Asians who eat very traditional Asian fare, um, they stay pretty fit regardless of the amount of consumption or their activity levels. But if you look at people who come over here and eat a Western diet, um, who are Asian, they get enormous. Um, and that's me. I eat the Western diet. I get ginormous. He was reading the art of war, which I'm not, not the art of war, which is a Sun Tzu book about business, but the war of art, which is a small paperback about focusing on your, your job and entertainment. Like it's a job, which a lot of people don't do. And I'm guilty of as well. But this is the thing is like, don't be fucking be consistent with your research. If you don't remember, like I remember, do research. Go back and look it up. Don't just fucking spit off at the mouth nonsense that isn't true. The War of Art and The Art of War are two completely different books about completely different things. The War of Art was a book 
written by the guy who did Legend of Bagger Vance, who wrote about the fact that you need to kind of clock in for your fucking job. Like if you're a comedian, clock in. Say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write this many hours a day. I'm going to sit down and spend this many hours a day on social media. And at that time, that's what I was trying to do. Thing is a bad thing to read, but like he was becoming all soft and like networky and like I love this that I get accused of being networky, by the way. Let's we'll we'll let this play out a little bit because this is very interesting. Hey, you just gotta follow people to get follows, you know, you gotta put it out there and it'll come back. He was getting all real, you know, soft boy, cuckish karmish. And it was like this is the kind of stuff we used to make fun of. So it was like weird um, to have him doing that. Um, but, you know, like he was, you know, getting into yoga and shirts that don't. Never done yoga. I do have a lot of shirts that don't fit. Don't fit. And it's easy for people, by the way, to go, look, it's a com I do a comedy show. This is intended to be funny. It's not funny enough for it to be untrue. If it's going to be untrue, you got to make the exaggeration hilarious. Be like, yeah, he was doing yoga and he was sucking his own cock and putting his leg behind his head. That's fine. Go, go all the way. But the problem is, is like you, you, you pretend you're doing jokes and you're just weaving in lies. A lot of my friends open up for Jeff on the road. Yeah. I don't not talk to them. I don't know. And listen, like I can, and I can also tell somebody like, yeah, I don't, by the way, this is the most masturbatory meta podcast world shit. I'm watching some, I'm doing commentary on somebody doing commentary on me. I am, it has not escaped me how fucking sad that is. But again, I, I just, I'm done being quiet about this shit. I know that guy and I've never really met him or chatted with him, but like, I don't want to either. Yeah. Like, There's nothing about that person that goes, like, I, I've met Jeff many times. Yeah. And Je Jeff does the same thing with me that Brian Callen does. Brian Callen was the first comic I opened for on the road. This is insane. I can't uh, listen to all this. I can't listen to it. It's factually accurate. Yeah, Brian Callen was the first comic I opened for on the road. Myself, Daryl Horner, Kevin Kraft, we all opened for Brian Callen at a club called Riddles on the south side of Chicago in the spring of 2008. Oh, I can't, I can't listen to this. I can't listen to anything that reminds me that you've done shit I've never done. And yeah, you've opened for big comics. But you, you, let's get to the real core of it. It fucking kills you that I called my shot. I said, I don't need your show. I'll go do my own thing and I'll fucking beat you. And I did at a club called Terry is now a genre of what we do. And it's like, nobody's going to give you a fucking show. The one of the best pieces of advice, I don't fucking size, uh, size, but I'm hoping that fixed the, echo. I think you guys are getting echo like, from the second nobody's mic. writing I about I, what I think I just doing. fixed that. Hopefully there's no buzz. There's it's about no me again. Press, Steve Kerr. Right? Let, let me know. <laughs> let me know. If again, you know, he's confused with like, Hey, I'm getting press. I'm making controversial tweets. People are talking about me. It's like, yeah, I'm just over here making a living at comedy. Are you making a living at comedy or are you still sucking money out of your last few pay pigs? This is what I think is funny. You go, oh, you've never made a living at comedy. We make about the same amount of money from comedy every year. What do you do? You do Jeff's Rooms, the Looney Bins in Oklahoma. Uh, what is it? El Paso. Uh, fuck it. I, he's got some clubs in the, in the uh, Oklahoma, North Texas area. Okay, you do those four clubs every year? Cool. I do clubs you don't do either, fatty. It's like, th th that's what I think is amazing. Oh, I make my money off of comedy. No, you don't work a job. And let's be real. You make your money from NLO, which you've been doing for fucking 17 years. Okay. I would hope you're making a living at it by now. 
That's why I laugh when Mike David's like, oh, I make all this money. Yeah, you've had a 20-year head start. I hope you're making something. Let me do this for 20 years. I bet I could pay my fucking bills, right? 20 fucking years? I hope you're squeezing something out of it. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You make your money from that. You make your money from your inheritances that you got. That you wisely invested in Bitcoin. Listen, I'm not going to knock that you invested in Bitcoin. You probably made a fucking mint on it. If you didn't, you got out at the wrong time. But if you got in what you told me you got in at Bitcoin, when you got in, you got a million dollars in Bitcoin, which probably helped you buy your house. That's great. That's all very smart shit. But you being a smarter investor doesn't all of a sudden, because you don't have a job, doesn't make you more of a comedian than me. What are you, luckier than I am? You, you had richer parents and grandparents who left you more money? I've never received a dollar of inheritance from anyone in my life. That's not true. I got $1,000 that wasn't left to me by my aunt who left it to my brothers and sisters who got together and decided to give me a piece even though I wasn't in the will. And they probably only fucking did that so that if the old man left me everything, I'd piece them out too. But let's not pretend anyone in my family is inheriting fucking massive generational wealth. So that's what I'm doing and have been doing, by the way, consistently and steadily playing podcasts, as you call it. Yeah, but what do you consistently and steadily? You do four gigs a year like I did during the pandemic. What are you fucking talking about? That hurt my wrist. Yeah, Little, yeah, Little Rock, Arkansas. That's another one of, of Jeff's clubs, the Looney Bins. I work clubs you've never worked. You don't work the House of Comedies. The fuck are you talking about? Um. So, you know, yeah, you've had some higher highs. A show I got on network television syndicated in 14 fucking countries for three seasons. I'd say that constitutes a slightly higher high. You've certainly had some lower lows, too. Didn't you do a GoFundMe for your rent while simultaneously ordering the largest pizza available to man? Didn't I do a GoFundMe for my rent? So we talked about this a little earlier, right? I did a job, got fired from it, from some shit off the internet. Um, not talking about the company, obviously. Just uh, Didn't you say something about blacks a year ago on Twitter that they canceled you for? Well, now you can't work here? Yes. I moved money around to take that job. When that job ended on day two and I didn't get a full paycheck, we lost a lot. We were upside down on bills and we reached out via GoFundMe because I don't have rich parents. I don't have rich friends or rich parents. So we reached out to the only people I knew who were fans and friends who reached out to help. By the way, lower lows. Hmm. Didn't one of us get arrested for cocaine possession with intent to distribute in like 2011? 
And didn't one of us have to go to his fans and crowdsource thirty thousand plus dollars to pay his fucking legal bees, uh, legal fees, and legal bees? He had to pay the bees. But didn't you have to crowdsource thirty k from your fucking fans to get out of your legal trouble because you were going to be cool guy who does coke at the comedy store, dickhead? Lower lows. You are out of your fucking mind. Did I get jammed up losing a job suddenly for some shit that I don't think I should have? Yeah. Did I get arrested for trying to be fucking cool, carrying drugs to comics at the store that I was trying to get in with? No. Lower lows. Get the fuck out of here. And that was one of the real big points of contention in our relationship was because I don't do drugs or drink, which I don't have a problem with people that do, but you really did have a problem that I didn't drink or do drugs. You had a problem that I wouldn't succumb to your fucking peer pressure. Well, guess what, buddy? It's because we're not peers. We've never been peers. You care too much about what people think. That's why you started smoking pot to ingratiate yourself to the pothead comics, even when you didn't. That's why you started doing coke to try to get in with cokehead comics, even when you didn't. And it backfired. And you got arrested for trying to be fucking cool. Never happened to me, dude. I'd say that's a much lower low than getting jammed up on some bills for a month and having a car repossessed. Selective history these people have. Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful how people go, oh, you've had, you've had higher highs. I'll brush over that. But you've definitely had lower lows. Have I? Don't you do a lot of Uber driving and stuff? Yeah, don't I do a lot of Uber driving? I've done a lot of shit over the year. If a guy shows up at my door with a briefcase with five G's in it, and that just shows you how little I know about money, a briefcase, five G's wouldn't even fill a briefcase. But if a guy showed up with $5,000 at my doorstep right now, it was like, suck my dick. He's going to get drained. Yeah, I like money, bro. I'm not afraid to work for it. I'm not above working for it. This is the shit that black people talk about when they talk about fucking white privilege. The idea that working a job is a fucking insult, dude. One of the biggest fucking podcasters in the world, Jonesy from uh, uh, Hotep, from the Hotep Network, that motherfucker still is in the trades. It's not, a sh it's not a shameful thing to have a fucking job, to work your ass off for a living, to do things. And yes, I live in a place that's expensive. It's, it's a lot more money now than it was when you lived here. You didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you couldn't cut it in LA. You fucking ran a decade ago. You ran to New York. You lasted there for nine months. Then you fled to Europe. Don't you live in the apartment that I lived in? Yeah. Yeah, dude. When I moved up here, there were two apartments available in the building. One that was on the first floor that had way shittier, older appliances and bad tile work and yours, which was in pretty good shape. So I took the better apartment. This dude makes it sound like I'm licking his cum off the fucking rug. Ten years ago. Creep. Creep. Okay. Because I moved into an apartment you used to live in. All right, dude. Moved into my little apartment. He literally sleeps in the room I used to podcast in. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the master bedroom. Why is, that, why is that weird? It's not like I have a shrine to Patrick Melton in my fucking house. Where I look at it every day and go, oh, if only I could be like you. It's sad. It's a windowless. There's four windows in this place. There's one in every room. I don't know what you're talking about. Hovel. 
They had better apartment units in the building. They didn't. Same- they didn't, by the way. They did have, they did have a three-bedroom in the building that was like $400 a month more than what this one would have been. And he was like, yo, go get the three-bedroom and we can put the studio in your apartment so that I don't have to put it in my shit. And by the way, yeah, Joel, he fucking talked shit. He lived here when it was two-thirds of what it costs now. Come back to L.A., big bucks. Get into a fucking $3,000 a month joint. Show us how much money you have. Throw it around. Make it rain. You live off of a fucking inheritance. Price or less. He wasn't even interested in seeing him. I wasn't interested. I went and looked at him. The three bedroom was more money. The other two bedroom had shittier older appliances and bad tile work. Somebody who's ever fucking done an ounce of construction in their life would know bad tile work when they saw it. Must be where Patrick sleeps. There's this weird thing in the space now where people think that commentary is now a genre of what we do. And it's like, nobody's going to give you a fucking show. The one Let me just tell you something. I love this. Like, uh, commentary is not a part of what we do. It's like, oh, really? I mean, you didn't go back to the 90s to tough crowd. To the echo, guys. What are you talking about? Com- like, And by the way, this is what I'm talking about. Commentary. When your entire fucking existence is talking about other comedians who are not famous. That's not a, I mean, that's a fucking loser genre. That's why that's, that's why this show is not what I do normally, but yes, you just look bitter and jealous. If I'm nobody, why are you talking about me? If Ty Rivera is a nobody, why are you talking about him? It's because we are something you'll never be, which is ourselves. And you don't fucking know who that is. Because you've been pivoting and twisting and turning all these years, trying to figure out which group over here might like me more. The whole thing, uh, the whole... When the ratio of you talking about other people is more than them talking about you, you're losing. And that's one thing you could say about me. Love me or hate me. More fucking shows talk about me than I talk about them. What does that have to... What does that tell you? point of he might hate me but at least i'm entertaining enough to carry a fucking eight hour show america's got talent or uh or, or um don't put negative what was the original rea- the ralphie may reality show last comic standing yeah you're in the business you don't even remember the fucking primary point of entry for comedians for a decade and call you and go hey you know how you that fan i hate that guy too let's work together on something like that's come on I mean, last me, last comic standing. Yeah, well, if it's entertaining. Oh, thank you for the birthday cake, Wiz. Like the Vegas comedy scene, which seems to be a real hotbed of like. Uh... I stopped doing Nobody Likes Onions when I felt like the show just became about talking shit about other comedians. And a lot of it was talking shit about me. Now, look, I mean, he's such a fucking hypocrite. The show is always talking shit about other comedians. From that wasn't all it was, though. That wasn't all it was. We talked about current events. We talked about other shit. Again, if something happened with a comedian, like when that thing happened with Eliza in the studio that was weird, we talked about that. But it wasn't like, let's just sit here and... Ri-. Like, you've done fucking 15 shows about Ty Rivera, and, it's, and I'll tell you what that's about. That's entirely what I get into later about you being a fucking networker and a, and a, 
and a, a, you're about clicks, dude. You, you went to college. You were in a fraternity. You're one of those guys. You're a fucking frat boy. And you're trying to get with the frat that doesn't like Ty. So you decided to start attacking Ty so that you would be in with that frat. Right. You said, okay, well, Trix is in with all these other clubs. He's managed by the woman who owns the house of comedies and ties on the outs because everybody in Vegas likes tricks more than Ty. So I'm just going to go after Ty and then these guys will like me. That's what it's entirely about. Right. It's not like ties on comedy central or doing HBO specials or anything. That's that you would deem worthy of talking about. Now I love Ty because Ty is something you'll never be. Ty is himself. Ty doesn't give a fuck about what other people think. That's what Ty and I have in common. Dane Cook, the fortune themester. We LOL about other comedians all day, all the time. Liar. When the gun got turned on you, you couldn't handle it. Just like no, Johnny B. No, I didn't like it because it Just wasn't like it wasn't truthful. And and too often on the show, I would just bite my teeth and let you run with something out of politeness and respect for the fact that we were on your show. That's my biggest regret is that I didn't stop you in your fucking tracks and tell your listeners on your show what a lying sack of shit you were. Johnny B. So, you know, yeah, let's talk about Johnny B. Where are all the other hosts from over the years? Why does everyone who's ever met you in real life hate you? This is the difference between me and people like you and Mike David. Everyone who's met you two in real life fucking hates you. You have nothing but enemies in real life. And the only people who love you are people who think you represent them on the internet. Other autistic fucking dorks, right? Who think like, I should be part of the thing. No. Right? Everybody who doesn't like me are people on the internet who've never met me because I have opinions that they don't like or I carry myself in a way that they wish they could. I don't know what it is. I stopped giving a shit a long time ago. If I walk into a room and you decide you don't like me, cool, bro. We never have to meet. We don't have to speak. We don't have to interact. We don't have to engage at all. We're good. I'm all friended up, as Tom Segura would say. I'm set. But most of the people that know me in real life would go, I like that guy. I like his shit. He's authentic. He's genuine. He says what he fucking means. And he shows up for people when he says he's going to show up for people. Pay attention. Keep score, people. Who has more friends and, and colleagues in real life and who just has nerds on the internet that tune into their show? Maybe we stumbled on why it's hard for me to build an internet following. Because I don't placate to these fucking, these autistic cucks who I don't respect. Yeah, Red Bar nerds and NLO nerds have come out to my shows. I've never met one of these fucking autists and been like, man, I really wish that person liked me. Man, I really wish I could be friends with that. Boy, that's a real cool guy. They're all people I would have made fun of in high school. So if that's what's comprised of the internet, yeah, it makes sense that I don't have 10,000 fucking Patreons or local subscribers or whatever. Because I'm not going to pretend that you're not weird. That you're not some fucking fruit who needs to learn social skills and fucking and balls up once in a while. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <coughs> yeah, I'm too cool for the internet, Jorge. That's what it is. Uh, we figured it out. We figured it out. This is such a fucking lie. <laughs> the show changed. It was like, no, you choose to be gay. You choose to not want to be a part of this show anymore. Those are both Josh's beliefs criticizing things that I was doing or criticizing things I was working on or minimizing. Right. You were soft boying. You're buying like followers on Twitter and getting, you can say it as many times as you want. doesn't make it true. Matt, if we called you out about it, I get negativity, whether I look for it or not, <laughs> it finds you. It fucking finds me. So I don't need finds all of us. You're not special out and voluntarily put myself in front of it more than what, by the way, finds you. Have you ever had the entire internet calling you? You've never had ink. No one's ever written about anything you've ever done. We, oh, it finds all of us. To what magnitude? To what magnitude you weren't bailed out by your fucking trust fund? And I'm going to get naturally, right? Like, I'm a dude that just, like, for whatever reason, when I walk in a room... For me. And I, I don't understand why. And I stopped trying to change that. A decade ago. You have an aggressive... Well, isn't that amazing that I just said there what I'm saying here? It's almost like I'm pretty fucking consistent with my view on the world and how I talk about things. But, dishonest energy. You know, so, and that's a projection of yourself. What's dishonest? And I want to bring up something else. Patrick used to pretend that I had conflict with comedians that I didn't have conflict with. Like, he tried to start shit between me and the comedian Mike Burns at a show one time saying that Mike didn't like me. Right. We did a show at M bar and we had done a show before where Mike got a little drunk and like interrupted me talking one time. And then Patrick made that out to be like, wow, this guy really fucking hates you. And I was like, wow, weird. I know Mike going back to the Chicago days. I don't know where that comes from, but I'll sort it out. And then we did a show together, an NLO show together at M bar in Hollywood. And I went outside and, and walked up to Mike Burns and I said, hey, man, do we have an issue? Because Patrick tells me that you got a fucking problem with me, and I just want to find out what that's about. And Mike Burns goes, "Nah, dude, we don't have any fucking problem. We're we're good." And I, okay, cool, man. And I and I like Mike, and I think he's funny. I think the dad boner shit when it was in his heyday was fucking great. And it was somebody I respected, somebody who was doing shit in the business who I respected. So if that person misunderstood me, I would own that. Or if I was an asshole, I would have owned that too. If he was like, yeah, dude, you fucking interrupted me when I was telling a story or something and you pissed me off, I would go, oh man, my bad. Right? Sorry. But this is this weird thing of like Patrick projecting his dislike for me being comfortable in my own skin onto other people because he can't own it himself. Patrick could never look at you and go, man, you just kind of carry yourself in a way that I fucking wish I could. You know, because that would be faggy to say to another man. Don't mean you don't feel it. Doesn't mean you don't look at other guys and go, man, I wish I, I did something that they do. I wish I did that. It's not, this is where masculinity is, is, is really fucking 
the people who can't admit when a dude has a more masculine trait to them, that's really more toxic than being like, man, that guy's fucking fit. You know what I mean? Like I look at guys who have tremendous discipline and fitness and go be like, I wish I, I wish I cared as much about that. And I wish I could apply myself the way that they do. That doesn't make me some fucking fag. And if it does, then I'm a fag. But it's like, you can't, you know, this idea that like admiring something about another dude that you can't do or don't do is so bad that you got to like project that onto someone else who's like a third party to express how you feel about you. Ugh. Dude, grow up. He was like buying a genre of what we did back. I don't understand. Now I'm pulling a real mic. Matt, if we called you out about it. I get negativity whether I yeah he he was a he attempted to be a stand up comic failed at that tried to run a comedy club embezzled money from his fucking partners they locked him out of the oh, business I wonder who I'm they talking sued about. each other I don't know what oh no that, but a lot but anyway, of truth he dedicated his life to <laughs> shitting on comedians and I'm one of his favorite targets and Patrick was like trying to copy that model of like oh I'm gonna get all this that's so insane. Too. That's so insane. I like how it's insane, but we had real conversations in your living room at the house up the street from this apartment where you were constantly looking at what Mike was doing about with his podcast and being like, I got to, I got to be one step ahead. You guys started your shows around the same time. You had this weird sibling rivalry all through the years until he did the watch, which I enjoyed. I'm not going to pretend I didn't enjoy the watch. I even enjoy some of them when they're about me. If they're funny, if they're just lies or put my personal shit out there, then that's fucking, that's bad. But yeah, I mean, like you had this rivalry, but you couldn't fucking stand if Mike got a better camera than you or had better lighting or show looked better than yours. You went out and dropped like, I remember when you fucking redid the studio, you went out and dropped like 20 grand or something to try to keep up with Mike David. Don't pretend like you didn't have this rivalry that you still don't try. Like, what's all this production? But you do a fucking show out of your house for who knows how many viewers, right? It ain't thousands. You have more production value into your show than Tim Dillon does. And Tim Dillon is making a quarter of a million dollars a month before his advertising. We don't know what that is. But dude, like, let's not pretend you're not trying. You can count on one hand the number of people we've ever deep dived into and guess what buddy josh denny ain't one of them that's funny how many hours of content about me after i left the show i don't know but it, it's a lot you cover everything i do you covered my show when it came out you did a show last month talking about next week tonight going i couldn't possibly make a show that's edited this poorly shot this poorly written this poor cool make something what have you made that's an original Patrick Melton production in fucking 10 years? When's the last time you even put out an album of stand-up? You don't make shit because you, you can't stand criticism. That's the difference. I might make too much shit and I might fail at too much shit because I do too much shit, but at least I'm not afraid of the criticism. You let perfect be the enemy of good. You don't put out anything because it's got to be better than so-and-so. It's got to be right. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be whatever. And then you end up making nothing over a decade. That's where we're different. I'll make something shitty and learn my way through it. And eventually I'll be good at it. You won't even fucking try. We don't talk about you over here. What the fuck am I watching right now? Am I watching me talk about you? No, I'm watching you talk about me.
we don't cover you over here. Get the fuck out of here. You can't even be honest with yourself. No one's ever been concerned about what you're doing over here. You've only been concerned about what I'm doing over there. You've only been concerned about what everybody else is doing over there. <laughs> On one hand, you'll go, uh, you'll go, oh, Ty Rivera ain't doing shit. Here's 36 hours on him. Dude, do you have any idea how fucking sad and pathetic you look doing 30 hours of content on someone you claim is a nobody? You're helping him out. And I'm glad because I like Ty. So cover him. Get him fans. But Jesus Christ, like you're the biggest hypocrite I've ever seen in my life. You're nobody. Here's 30 hours of content about you. And, and Mike does the same shit on Red Bar. Oh, these fools, these losers, these nobodies. Here's 50 hours on them. It's just leave your house. Go film a walk and talk again. Remember when you used to do blogs when you left your house before you feared for your life everywhere, you fucking dope? We've messed with Crazy Joe. We've messed with Ty Rivera. Right. By the way, who knows who Crazy Joe is? I don't know who that is. I, we did how many years of the show together? I think we maybe did one thing where we talked about Crazy Joe. I don't even know who that is. And that's about it for deep motherfucking long-term dives. No one's talking about... Oh, so we're going to skip over the month and a half you did obsessing about Butch Bradley firing you from a job and not paying you? No deep dives, I guess, huh? I guess you didn't take a website out trying to fuck with his business. I guess you didn't have all your minions or whatever fans, your super fans, go in and review bomb his club and try to fuck with his business. Now, you're not a vindictive, petty cunt at all, are you? You don't actually go after people's uh, livelihoods or try to cancel or hurt them in any way. No, you don't do anything like that. You don't make shows with or, or shirts with other people's likeness on them and try to profit off of lies you made up about that person. You don't do anything like that. You're, you're just noble Patrick who just makes Patrick content that people love. You can't get enough of. Out Josh Tenney. Nobody. Um, here come the chats. Here we go with the Josh Denny virtue signaling. Yes. hundred percent. Uh, by the way, telling someone this is who I am is not virtue signaling. How is that virtue signaling? I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm better than this fucking guy, but I'm not sitting there talking to Earl Skagel going, I'm better than everybody because of this. Again, this is Patrick's projection. You can't talk about how you are as a person without that being some sort of flex of ego. Um, he stopped doing NLO when it started being like Red Bar, but then he went on Red Bar to try to talk about Patrick. Yeah, I was invited by Mike to come talk about Patrick and set up. And by the way, hilarious moment in the history of Red Bar. Boy, did I have egg on my face. But you know what? That's all a good fun. That, and, and you know what? As a comedian, I had appreciation for that. I was like, man, he got me good. He got me good. He knew I didn't like Patrick. He, he fucking, and Mike and I used to be friendly on social media before all the watches. But uh, he reached out to me and was like, we're covering Mel the big one. We're doing Melton. You want to come on and share some? And I was like, yeah, fuck him. And he, and he used my hatred for Patrick against me and made me look like an idiot. Perfect. He, that was, that was an absolute chef's kiss, Mike David. Very talented guy. A lot of energy put into the wrong places. A lot of, a lot of energy put into just being a miserable, lonely, bitter fucking old man. And got duped by my...
Like the kind of energy that would almost make you sick to the point of death for nine months and not be able to do a show. You know what I mean? That kind of self-hatred that would actually manifest itself into illness and keep you bedridden to where you have to abandon your entire network for half a year. Like twice, by the way, this, this, you know, people won't tell you this. And I don't know if I still have the, the, um, chat. I I've tried reached out to Josh in 2016 and apologized for being, being, this is a hundred percent true. It's not a, it's not even 1% true. You never reached out and apologized. You know, how apologies start. They start out with, Hey man, I just want to say, I'm sorry for, and then it goes on from there. You've never once fucking apologized to me. When you had Will C on your show, you pretended like nothing ever happened between us. You were like, yeah, I think we're still cool. I think we're good. Go back and listen to his show with Will C. And Will C did the same shit. Yeah, man, we're still cool. Neither of you were cool with me. We're not cool. We've not been cool. And you reached out to me to congratulate me for my show and say, hey, man, you know, fucking f-. And you said fake it till you make it to me, too. You didn't say I'm sorry for the way we treated you over the years. You, the words I'm sorry have never come out of your fat fucking bladed up mouth. Um. I used to be a much grumpier, unhappier person. True, but that's not a used to be. You ain't changed, motherfucker. Ten years ago. I didn't like myself. True. I didn't like anything about my life. True. And I took it out on other people. Definitely true. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now I was good to people in, in in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways I wasn't. Josh is one of those people I was good to in a lot of ways. And talk about the ways you weren't. How about that you never paid me for anything I ever did? All the marathon shows, everything else. You never just were like, "Hey man, here's like two hundred bucks. We raised ten thousand dollars today for me to live off of. Here's a couple hundred bucks. Go out to dinner with your girl. Nothing like that. Never. Perhaps in every way, not perfect. Um, Jim, the walrus. No, I never did a deep dive on that guy. We just watch his show. I mean, he's a nut, but I don't really like know much about him. Same as Josh. The only reason I know where Josh lives is because it's my old apartment and he films podcasts, um, with his kitchen as his background. Yeah, man. That's where my desk is in my place. The kitchen is over here. By the way, look at me. Should my show be far from the kitchen? You think I want to live somewhere where the kitchen is far away? That's never going to happen. Um, but look, you know, 100%, I, I have not treated people well in the past. Uh, I would love for one person you've ever said I'm sorry to to fucking send me an email. If there's a single person out there who's ever been like, yeah, Patrick Melton apologized to me. Fucking bring it. Let me see. Show me. I don't believe it's ever happened. Your idea of an apology is explaining to somebody how you were right and they were wrong. Uh, it's <laughs> been a detriment to me, both personally and from a career standpoint. Yeah, to correct. And we'll I count about them as it. lessons learned. And... um. You know, been able to make amends and and uh, come back from a lot of those relationships that didn't work out. But also, you know, man, there's a lot of just shitty people in comedy. Where oh, it's the shitty people in comedy, right? Not you. 
being held to account for your shitty behavior. It's just, there's just a lot of shitty people in comedy. So even at my worst, I'm just like, I'm pretty much the same as everybody else. What an admission of humility. The fault usually lies somewhere between both parties and oh, so I've been a point. I've been a huge piece of shit to people, but it's mostly both our faults. You're like that fucking Karen breaking up a schoolyard fight with her own kid who was pounding the fuck out of another kid stands him up as the other kid goes to the hospital and goes, it's both their faults. Really? Um, don't be surprised if you just have a lot of pieces of shit, it's just kind of the biz. It doesn't have to be the biz. If fucks like you weren't in it, like you get into this because you got no social skills and then you treat people in this business like someone who has no social skills. Um, he stopped doing comedy. He's like Red Barber. Then he went on Red Bar and got duped by Mike. Literally makes no sense. Um, he comes off like a jilted lover. Yeah, what is you doing a podcast about me talking to another? You're watching me talk to my new boyfriend, Earl, and you're the old boyfriend and you're mad. And you're going, he, him with his fucking lies and his, he's fucking other people when we were together. Yeah, that is true. A little bit jilty. Um, how do I get this? Hold on, sorry. Mind with this shit. Slow. To Josh Denny Brand, the guy with the racist tweets. If that could be my brand, by the way, I'd love it. If you guys could make that a t-shirt, Josh Denny, the guy with the racist tweets. This was another thing that he did. And this is something else. This is a whole other pod verse that I'm going to talk about. But this is something else that Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May used to do to me too. But what happened is we'd do this thing. We'd play this game where one of us would be the obscene racist guy and the other would be the straight man. And then one of us would run off and be like, say the worst fucking shit. And the other person would go, oh, my God, I don't know how you could say that. I don't know what you would do. And then it, historically and retroactively, those people would try to go back and go, well, you know, he did say all that racist stuff. You know, he has said really fucked up things. And, you know, like we should have known. It's like, motherfucker, we're doing a bit. And now you're going to pretend that it wasn't a bit because that's that helps you. That, that piles on to the internet calling me racist. You're going to pretend when I was doing a bit as a racist that that was just me being me. Or like when I was making the joke about like you don't choose to be gay or, or that being gay is a choice. You try to pretend that that's a real position and not me doing a bit. It's so revisionist. It's just such pussy behavior. The guy who flip-flops about abortion every two months. Now you're like this radical right-wing guy. I've never flip-flop on abortion. My views changed. My views changed. I've talked about it on the podcast. It changed when I did the podcast with Adam Yenzer a few years ago. You, he you can hear it on that episode where he brings me around and I go, yeah, you got a good point. You're right. I'm wrong. Totally. You know, it's like. I didn't flip-flop. I'm not some crazy right-wing guy. My political views have not changed since I was on Nobody Likes Onions. The only thing that changed was my view on abortion. And yeah, did I go on your show and talk about celebrating when a girl that I got pregnant got an abortion? Hell yeah, I did. I didn't like her. I didn't want to have kids with her. It was the worst time in my fucking young life, the biggest fuck-up I ever had. And it almost completely changed the entire course of my life. I narrowly escaped that. Yeah, I was happy about that abortion. Was it the right thing to do? Fuck no. And was I a selfish piece of shit for making her do that? Hell yeah, I was. Now that's an admission of fucking humility. 
That's what a person who goes, I was wrong does. You go, I was wrong. And I was being selfish as a young guy. And I thought I had this whole career ahead of me. And I thought there's no fucking way I can have this kid and do the things I want to do in my life. And I, I felt like I was being exploited and taken advantage of. I famously went on Colby dance, dance basement podcast and talked about the fact that when I asked her why she wanted to have a kid with me, she was like, well, like you got a lot of DVDs. And I was like, that's it. You think because we both like movies, we should procreate. Like, are you fucking retarded? So yeah, I had a different view back then and I was selfish and, uh, you know, listen, I don't know that she actually got it. If that woman turned up tomorrow was like, here's your daughter. She's 11. I, I would do what I have to do. I would do the right thing. I wouldn't go, let's bash it and see if we can hide the body. Like I, um, yes, my perspective has changed. I don't, I don't think killing other people is cool under, under any circumstance. And that's what it is, man. What are you? What is your brand? This Seriously, it, baby. you're out of your mind Poop. with this shit. You don't know my, if you don't know my, my brand is poop. Look at the logo. I spent 15 fucking minutes making this logo and you're just going to pretend like that's not a logo. <laughs> if there is anything that the Josh Denny brand, it's inconsistency. True. Lies. Dishonesty. That's not true. That's not true. But the inconsistency so, is definitely true. And I love that those, so those people can sit around all day. It's easy to sit back and shit. It's like the man in the arena, the, the, the poem. People can sit back and shit on things all day. The poem. Day long. But if you don't take any risk and put anything of your own out there to be critiqued or judged or otherwise, shut up. So again, just talking out his ass. He has no idea what I do, what I'm working on, what I'm coming. Let's see it. Show me, big guy. It's been a decade. You ain't put out nothing. Where's where's a scripted show? Show me a sketch. Would you do a couple of blogs about writing new material? Ugh. Boy, did I watch all five minutes I could handle of that. This is the real behind the scenes, guys. I mean, I like this just because I don't constantly start new projects. Also, you don't fucking finish any either. You don't start any or finish any. So I don't brag about the shit I have going on. Promotion is not bragging. We used to argue about this all the time, too. Promotion is not bragging. It's called, I made a thing. I want people to watch it, and hopefully people like it. It's called promotion. You should try it. Nearly as much as every other comic. I'm not doing it for you. So you wouldn't know what I'm doing if it fucking smacked you in the face. Well, it can't because it doesn't exist. Carry on, though, and tell me how uh, I'm working on my brand. Make one thing. Make one fucking thing, and I'll give you an hour-long apology video. You ain't made one fucking thing since we split up. Whether you like the shit I've done or not, I've made way more shit. Way more shit on my own. Way more shit that other people have paid for. I at least fucking keep trying to do shit. You ain't doing nothing. Remember when your career plan was to like sit in the audience at Kumia and get on Kumia? Maybe I could get in with the Kumia guys. Remember when you were making gentlemen scumbags and you were like, maybe I'll get in with the Chicago guys and like I could be a Kumail or a TJ Miller. Maybe I'll get in with the fucking Legion of Skanks guys. And you went on that show and bombed the fuck out trying to take over the room because you don't know how to be fucking yourself. So you thought, oh, I got to be this larger than life version of me and people and I got to win over those fans and you didn't.
Your whole fucking life you've been trying to be welcomed in by the fucking click, man, instead of just riding your own thing. You got a great brand. At one point, you had a shit ton of loyal fans, and we made a really good fucking show together that was funny. And your ego got the best of you. You didn't want to pay me to be a part of it. We had a conversation at one point. If we hit 10000 a month, you can quit your job and come do the show full time. And I said, cool. And it nev you never did it. That never manifested or became real. Because you just couldn't, you couldn't relinquish any of it to anybody else. I always told you, you go, why don't you start your own podcast? I said, because I'd rather be a part of this. This is cool. Right? I didn't have to go start my own Facebook. I was excited to be part of Facebook. But your fucking ego, you couldn't share the stage with anybody. Even when we did live shows together, you're fucking, you were so terrified. That I would upstage you that so often when you had to follow me, you would get hammered drunk and then you'd be able to blame not being able to follow me on getting too drunk. I just got too drunk and had too much fun. When you know that you were afraid that you didn't have the fucking material to follow me. The fuck up. See, to me. See, like imagine telling another comic to shut the fuck up. This is a freedom of speech guy, by the way. <laughs> yes. I'm telling you to shut the fuck up. Have something to say other than lies and bullshit and projections of your own shitty sense of self-worth. It's like, I would never tell you to shut the fuck up. We don't talk about you. <laughs> Except for now and that other time and that other and the other 14 times and the other 17 hours. <laughs> like There are way more Josh Denny episodes of Nobody Likes Onions than there will ever be Patrick Melton episodes of Jankum. At all. And this show's about shit. You'd think that you'd think it'd be a hot topic. Like the show was fucking picking up, and it was you know we would do live shows that have tons of viewers, and um, and then we we did some live. He he takes credit for this almost here. This isn't taking credit. This is giving you credit. This is saying yeah, your show was very big at the moment, and I was part of it. Whether it was big before me, it certainly ain't as big now as it was back then. There ain't any fucking data you could show me that would tell me otherwise. The show is nowhere near what it was in its heyday. You know what I mean? Stand-up gigs, a ton of people came out. He we, didn't even come out to most of them. We had a great time. We, we, we really... Brought Cornell Reed to Indianapolis, brought Cornell Reed to a show in London, Germany. In the, in the, in the early days of the, the show was one of the most fun things. I he says the early days of the show, like he, he weren't there until year six, motherfucker. Yeah, you're six out of 15. You weren't there for the early. early days of the no, show. I've been drinking. I don't drink. It was so big I could make a living on it before I moved to LA. That's how it worked. You didn't make shit happen. And it's this exact attitude, which is why. You, you, that, you see what I mean? Oh, it's all me. It's all me. Nobody ever tuned in for you. It's not like I had dozens of friends who signed up for the overdose and paid you money that I never even got a sliver of because they liked me and, and I was doing your thing with you and they supported that. No, that wasn't part of it at all. What, what, what are you talking about? Everything you've done since we split up has failed, has sizzled out. What, like what? I'm still standing. Are you? Because you look like you're sitting. Still standing. You ain't moved. You ain't gone anywhere. 
I've fucking fallen from heights you will never fucking reach. You will never get to the level of shit I've ever done because you're an unbearable, unlikable fucking sack of shit. Your show was called Nobody Likes Me before it was Nobody Likes Onions. You know, you know who you are. You hate it. You still hate it. You ain't changed. You can't even fucking look in. The, you can't even look at the camera. You're sitting there thinking about how you ain't. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, you ain't moved, motherfucker. You ain't done shit. How did Edinburgh go? Everything you've done is crashed and burnt. How did Edinburgh go? Two stars. The one fucking thing you tried in the last 10 years. I'm pretty sure it was a flop, right? Oh my God. People love, they do all the accounting on me, but totally forget about what you've gone through. It's, it's, it's laughable. A hundred million people around the world saw something I did. Name it. Name one fucking thing. Fatter than I've ever been. Looking like a big survivor. Gigantic food. Like, what are you like, dude? Seriously, man. I, 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 you know, I don't know if I've ever said Josh will never be back on the show again. I'll answer it for you. I'll never be back on the show again. I love the delusion in your mind that somehow that we're still going to get together and do some massive fucking collab show that's going to reinject new life into your fucking fan base from back in the day. Ain't happening. But I don't know how I can respect a dude who can't even see. And by the way, again, I was a different person then, 100%. <laughs> so funny. You weren't. You weren't. You're the same person now. Selective memory. All from Patrick's point of view. I was a different person back then. Younger, funnier. I think 10 years of traveling the world alone and not having a dude iron sharpens iron and no, no iron fucks with you. You're not even in the stratosphere of other really good comedians. You don't ever go, you don't go up with people that are fucking hard to follow or hard to work with that make you better. You've just sat there and corroded and eroded for the last 10 years. You ain't got a new bit worth of shit. Like I was. And I, but again, I've tried to apologize to him two times since you've never apologized. Here's how you apologize. You start off with, Hey man, I'm sorry. That's the start of an apology. You going, here's all the ways I've been right all the fucking time. I'm that's not an apology. You've never apologized for a fucking thing. And I don't want it. I don't want some half-assed apology from you. The fact that you're going on like this with all these lies and selective recollections of shit that happened. The plane crash. That's the big lie, right? The plane crash story is very easy. We were on the plane coming back from New York and Patrick, who's a fucking know-it-all, was talking about gear up landings. And we were standing there and it was Patrick and his girlfriend at the time, Laura. And he was talking about gear up landings. And I had seen a gear up landing at the Philadelphia airport when I was like in my early twenties and I'm sitting here trying to tell him that he's wrong about something. And he's like, what do you know? You don't know. What do you know? What were you in one? Were you in one? What were you in one? And I just went, yeah, motherfucker. I was in one. Now, will you listen to what I have to say? 
And then that turned into him bringing it up impromptu on the show and going, were you ever in a plane crash? Well, I never said, yo, dog, I was in a plane crash. It was brutal. I survived. I didn't Steve ran as easy a plane crash story. We were talking about a thing, and then you shoehorned it as, were you ever in a plane crash on your show? And then I go, no, I wasn't. And then you go, well, why do you lie about that or other things on the show? And it's like, I'm sitting here on the show trying to go, yeah, dude, sometimes we're doing bits. And there's embellishment for bits. And then there are things that you uh, extrapolate from conversation in real life. And then again, it's like you put words in my mouth and then you expect me to defend them as if they're my own. And so a lot of the times when he's going, you have all these lies, it's like, no, there were things that you assumed about me that weren't the truth. And because you misled yourself, you want me to own that. You thought I didn't drink uh, and, and do drugs or whatever because I had a substance abuse problem. When I said I have a history of a substance abuse problems in my family, my brother, anybody who watches the show, my brother drank himself to death last year. Okay. My, both of my parents have struggled with alcoholism in their lives. My mother has dedicated her, her last so many years of sobriety to now helping people get sober, right? Dedicated her life's work to it. It's been a substance abuse. I went to rehab with my other brother when I was 12 years old to watch him talk about almost throwing his fucking life away at like 20 something. He's 13 years older. He would have been 25, right? Who I idolized. So when you watch your older brothers who you look up to and idolize throw their fucking life away or nearly do it, uh, yeah, it affects how you look at substance abuse. And at an early age, I just said, yeah, it's not for me. I don't need it. And no amount of people telling me I'd be cool if I did ever fucking mattered to me. And you got a real problem with that because other people thinking you're cool really fucking matters to you. It doesn't matter to me. Sincerely, from the bottom of my fucking heart, and he used it and went on to uh, to Red Bar and said that, um, and you know, tried to get laughs out of it. Meanwhile, it's like one of the things he said was like, and because I, I genuinely, when he got that show, I told him like, "Congrats, man! Like you wanted a show, you got a show." Like he's like, "Yeah, no part of that was I'm sorry." Patrick only fucking messaged me, um, when I got a TV show to try to get something out of him for himself, which is clearly backed up, backed up by the time, by the way he thinks, you know, this was all transactional, everything I've ever done. It is. It's all calculated. It's all, uh, do you have friends who are nobodies? You got Kool-Aid, Alex Anzel, that's it? That's because that's the only guy in Vegas who will fuck with you? When you were in LA, you were constantly trying to fucking climb. You used to get mad at me when I would go meet up with you and the Chicago comics and D Burdett, who I'm still friends with and Emily LaFord, when you were trying to get in and get booked places, you used to get mad at me. If I wasn't uh, making you look good enough when I would show up to hang out with everybody. Remember that? Yeah. You're going to fuck this up for me. Why being myself. Okay. But I want you to think about that for a minute. His show is called ginormous food. It was a, it was basically a ripoff template of, of Guy Fieri, Diners, Drive-Ins, Dives. He it's not even an accurate rep. It was a ripoff of Man versus Food without the challenges. I mean, come on. Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives? It's a tra Those are called travelogue shows. If you know anything about the fucking business, you would know they're called travelogue shows. Comes into town. 
He walks into a restaurant, talks with the people about what they like about the restaurant, goes in the back, watches them make some crazy food, comes out and shares it with the people in the restaurant. That's the show. What was the, where did I think I would fit into that? Oh, it's, it's not even about that. Like what a literal interpretation of going, you want something from me um, and saying like, what did I think I was going to be in the show? No dummy. But I was signed at UTA at the time. I had the highest rated new show on food network in over a decade. And that's when you reached out. You don't think that looks a little suspicious, right? Oh, I'm finally doing shit. Now you muster up the courage to reach out after fucking eight years or seven years, whatever it was. Did he have a guest? And then you had Will C on your show where you both were like, yeah, yeah, no, we're both good. Will C was in San Antonio when I was filming the pilot. The head of Travel Channel, who Will had pitched shows to that network for a decade, was with me shooting my pilot in San Antonio. I texted Will C and said, hey, Neil Reagan from, from Travel is here filming my show with me right now. Come over, and if you haven't met him, I'll introduce you. And I guarantee you, if you're just yourself, and you come over and you fuck around, you have some fun with us, it'll help you. He was too fucking proud to come over. He was in San Antonio doing shows, and he was too fucking proud to come over to my pilot taping for something that could have helped his career. That wasn't me trying to be cool. That was me going, dude, the, the, uh, the, I, the serendipity of you being in San Antonio while we're here filming this pilot, and you've been trying to get on Food Network and travel forever. Come over. Like, let me make an introduction. If you've never met this, this is the guy who makes the programming decisions. And you go, oh, I, can't, I couldn't possibly show my face. I would be too embarrassed. Right? You're the same fucking guy. You and Will are the same guy. Guest comedian on every week. No, 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 no. There was no. What are you talking about? What? Like, oh, he was just trying to get in on my show. It's like. No, I was somebody for a second. And you can't help yourself but try to grift off of people who are doing shit. You did it to Ryan Sickler. You did it to fucking Mike and Mike. By the way, Burns and Bridenstine. Not, not, uh, <laughs> not any other Mikes. You fucking, you try to latch on to anybody. Tom, you try to do it to Tom. You try to do it to Bert. And then when they actually reached out to you as a friend to help them with something you were an expert at, you kind of cold shouldered them. And listen, whether that's true or not, that's the story I got. The story I got was they reached out to you to help them with something that you were good at and knew. And that you're fucking, you were less than willing to participate and help. And that you're a negative fucking piece of shit. And that they just don't want to be around you. They don't like that energy. And I'll tell you what, man, I feel like for a lot of that time, you injected that energy into me. And I, I took it on under the guise of some sense of self-improvement. Like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm listening. Like, if this is my best friend and he's telling me that there's these negative things about my personality, uh, maybe he's right. And maybe I need to start taking a look at myself. Maybe I need to question, you know, how I go about my business or how I carry myself or any of those things. And you fucking just use that to project your own shit on me. And that's what that the, the biggest regrets I have from our friendship together and our time together is that I did not put you on your in your place on your show enough out of respect 
which fucking God knows why I, why I had some sense of enough of a sense of appreciation to not put you in your fucking place. And that I ever, ever let you question or let you make me question who I am as a person. This is, this is a line and, and I, I, there's more of this clip and everything, but I've said what I need to say and I'm going to move on from this because we're, we're, we're almost out of time. We got to get ready for big uglies and I got to fix this echo before we get into the next show. I do see you guys talking about the echo and I'll get it figured out, but I'll say this like uh, the quote I love the most is don't take criticism from anybody who you would not seek advice from. I think it's Van Gundy, the basketball coach who first said it and then Chris Rock shared it and then a bunch of other people have reshared it but that's my point is like uh, you've you are not an individual that i respect i did 10 years ago but you haven't evolved in any way as an individual as a human as a fucking comedian i don't respect you i will never seek your approval or advice and the same goes for mike over at old red bar if he can hear me on his ventilator i don't respect you I like adult women who are capable of making informed adult decisions. I will never seek your fucking approval. So I don't give a shit about your advice or your criticism. That's the end of it, man. That's the end of it. I'm not, I'm not doing a commentary show about this shit ever again. I said my piece for those of you guys who tuned in and, and, you know, are paying attention. That's great. You probably, probably a lot of people that are Fred Bard and LO fans and that's fine. I said my fucking piece. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not going to carry it around with me by trying to take the high road and not commenting. But I think I've covered enough. Later on in that clip, he goes on to be like, oh, you know, what are you, friends with Tom and Bird or whatever? No, I'm not friends with Tom and Bird. I'd done a couple shows with him and they kind of avoided me. And then when I started talking about how I don't talk to you anymore and that we aren't friendly, it's amazing how quickly they opened up. Oh yeah, dude. I get it, man. He's, he's fucking, he's a real dark dude in a real dark place. He's got no fucking, he's not, he's a bummer. He's not fun to be around. He fucking hates himself and everybody around him. That's the fucking, that's the jig on you, man. What are people going to say about me that know me? Yeah, dude, that guy's fucking wild. He says some crazy shit. Yeah. I have opinions, right? I don't fuck people over out of money. I don't try to make people think there's someone they're not because I have problems with me. You got to work on yourself, dude. And the other one, God, he's a fuck. I could do a whole other episode on him, but he's a lost cause. He's a delusional, crazy old man. Hermit, hermitude will really fuck with your ability to function in the world. And that's why some of these dudes stay shut in in dark rooms and do nothing but podcast all day. So that's what we're about to do is another one of these. Uh, for those of you guys who tuned in, thank you. I did all the plugs at the top. I'm not going to do any more plugs. Go to Locals. You're watching this on Rockfin. Check it out. The next show uh, will only be on Rockfin, um, Big Uglies, uh, and we're going to get back to doing that every week on Tuesdays. Check out Locals. Check out Censor.tv. New episodes of next week tonight coming uh, in the next few weeks. Or not. <laughs> I'm going to try. I want to work on it. But, uh, you know, that's it, man. I hope you guys, uh, if you guys are familiar with all this old shit, I hope it, it puts some of that to bed for you. Um, and if not, uh, if you're new to it, I'm sorry that I had to interrupt your regularly scheduled program to get a little bit of this shit off, but you know, it needed to be done, needed to be said. So that's it. Uh, and then going forward, these shows will be on Twitter spaces and I will actually let you guys call in and comment. You won't just have to sit here and comment 
like a bunch of pussies. I'll put you on the air and you can actually say some shit to my face. I'd love to hear that. Uh, and we'll have fun with it. I'm not afraid. Let's go. See you guys later. Thank you.